Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Securities, Security Confidential. Uh, this is Manoj Tandon, your host, and we are honored to have Rafael Nunes join us today. Uh, Rafael is a mentor, a motivational speaker, a veteran, and an accomplished cybersecurity and information security executive and professional. Has many skills in the InfoSec arena with risk mitigation, encryption, vendor collaboration, PCI, DSS. Rafael has worked as a senior security architect for Sirius Computer Solutions, also as the IT security manager and principal information security analyst for Lowe's. He is the founder of Raya Cyber Solutions and co-founder co -founder of, of the Carolina CISO Roundtable. Uh, anything I missed there, Rafael? No, that, that, was, that was amazing. I'm, I'm like, man, that's me? That was good. Yeah, Thank that's you. you. That's you. And uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to have you here. Uh, and we're really Thank looking for forward me. to this conversation. Um, you know, one of the things, there's a few things. You know, a lot of our listeners we have heard us on past episode showcase veterans uh, because we support them. We hire a lot of veterans at Dark Rhino and and, and we want to help uh, people who have sacrificed so much uh, get some meaning in the civilian world, if, if you will. Uh, so you have a little bit of that background. And I'm sure there was some adversity there in the Air Force, but you also mentioned as part of your life transition that you faced some adversity, which actually made you a much stronger person. I'm paraphrasing, but share with us a little bit about this, about these two things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first first off, um, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Um, your acknowledgement of veteran sacrifices um, really tugs at my heart. It, it's very dear to me as a veteran, as someone who is connected to people still serving as a, and as a connected to people that have served and have um, given the ultimate sacrifice. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, as far as setback, my, um, that, that particular setback was uh, losing my job uh, suddenly and becoming unemployed overnight. Um, the reason why that represents such a big shift for me is because the one thing that you fear the most that would happen, if it happens, you feel like, well, if this happened and it's the thing I fear the most and I'm still standing, right? What else have I been hesitant on pursuing? What else have I been fearing in life that suddenly I'm like, what do I've got to lose? I already lost that one thing I was treasuring so much. Um, so becoming unemployed by default, let people reaching out to me, hey, Raphael, how can I help? What can I do? Um, and and uh, one of those opportunities was, uh, uh, some contract roles where I can I could deliver as a virtual CISO. And suddenly he says, well, Raphael, in order for us to do business together, I'd like for this to be corp to corp. So here I am. Okay, I guess I need an LLC. <laughs> I guess I need a business name. <laughs> so all these things happen just by default. I never planned on it. I never planned on having an LLC at the, you know a few years ago. Um, and one thing led to another, right? It, it, it put me in a different frame of mind, in a different um, billing rate gave me access to be uh, have a seat at the table with these companies where they were looking at me for advice. Um, you know, I, I met one of my greatest mentors during that phase and doing work for uh, Anthony Johnson um, and just met others that opened the doors for me and, and allowed me to walk in a light that I hadn't walked in before or allowed me to see skills that I had sort of suppressed in myself being the employee and, you know, just uh, checking the box of a role in, in, in a large organization. Now, do you think you would have made this transition to being an entrepreneur and independent 
had you not gotten laid off? Would would you? Have I don't seen? think so. I don't think so. You know how they say when you're down, the only way is up, right? And um, I I think it was like uh, in, in my country, the Dominican Republic. There's a saying that says uh, the uh, necessity teaches more than university. And I think I, I like just that. saw myself where I didn't I didn't have a choice. I was applying for certain roles, nothing was fitting, and then suddenly it was like, hey, got something for you. And we had we were going through our savings. My wife was looking at me with tears in her eyes. Are we going to keep the house? That sort of thing. And I just I just started running, you know, and and hustling, and, and you know, I was really hungry to uh, for self improvement, for success, for for making things happen, providing for my family. I think that catalyst was the unemployment. Without that, I, I wouldn't have had um, the business. So let's contrast this with the other side of that coin. And and I know from personal experience in our own family where we've had relatives that have lost their jobs and they were so devastated by it that they went into a downward spiral of a depression and all kinds of crazy things happened that should never have happened. Heck, it was just a job. Uh, but they had such a strong identity to that that it, it it was like someone had died that was close to them when they when they lost that. When you our audience listening would would wonder how do you choose the why in the road that you chose? How did you get? How do you stay positive in dire circumstances versus it's so easy to be the victim and and fall down? You know, I was always. Um... I was always secure in this umbrella of working for the government, being active duty military. Okay. Like it's almost, you know how they say, you know, I, I, I was even civil service at one point. They say it takes an act of Congress to fire a GS or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, so that safety net where everything was always going to be okay. Suddenly it wasn't. Um, I think I wasn't always positive. I was hopeful, but I wasn't always positive. A lack of options will make you really decisive. Right. So a lack of option, right? Decision making mm. is a gift in itself. And a lack of options leads to better and quicker decisions, right? If anything, you can fail fast quicker. Um, if you're if 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 you're in a team and you got you got you gotta get over the wall a certain number of times, but you have someone to tap on, you know, when it's their turn and you're exhausted, you know, you you may not see your max potential because the moment you get kind of tired, you're like, why why am I why am, why am I busting my butt here? Let me just tap on this guy's shoulder. When you look to yourself and you're like, I'm the provider. Yes, my wife works, but I'm the primary provider here. I, so I don't have the option of resting a couple of days, sleeping on it. You know, the luxury of maybe being depressed. I'm sad. I need someone to talk to. I need a hug. You got to go. So that lack of options is what instilled in me the need to kind of research, connect, stand out there, show up more boldly. Like, yes, I've done this. Yes, this is who I am. Um, had I been, had I had options, a couple of job offers or things like that, um, I would have just gone back to the corporate world and just falling in line. You know, I, I I wouldn't have been as aggressively. So it sounds like a good story after the fact, but I wasn't always positive. I really wanted to just kind of hunker down and be the present succumb to that um, and cry. You know, you know, cry to somebody. Look for excuses. Look for the reasons why me, why me, um, but didn't have those options. <laughs> So what would you tell someone that's gone down on their luck right now and they're trying to lift themselves up and and maybe make a career change to cyber, if you will? I would say 
that while their situation may be unique because no one knows what they're going through and how they ended up there specifically, what their bloodline is and who, what their family has put them through, whatever they've been through, someone else has been through and they've overcome and they are still here. That's as long awesome. as you are still here, as long as you're on, on this side of the dirt, you are you, you <laughs> still have all the potential to go. That, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you want to be on the right side of the dat dirt. And uh, as long as you're there, and, and it's very true that no matter how bad your circumstance, I can almost guarantee there's somebody else on this planet uh, that's got it worse. Absolutely. And we don't always have to wait for those moments of rock bottom to acknowledge the pressure, how precious this life is. You know, I have a couple of friends my age, close in age, maybe two years apart, who have gone into cardiac arrest over the last five years. Oh my. These guys now live fully, live life like, you know, tremendously. They travel, they take time to, to, to be present and everything else. And that's their story. But we don't have to wait for those circumstances to shift and acknowledge that the life, how much is available to us, how abundant this life is to make things happen. Yeah, that that's a very, very cool attitude. And it's uh it's really a very positive place to be. And I and I think, I mean, this is again just my personal opinion and not Dark Rhino's opinion, but my personal opinion is you're you're gonna attract that which you want to become or that you become. So, you know, Agreed. if you maintain that mindset, that's there. So speaking of which, you know, one one thing that I found interesting in uh, reading a little bit about you was you mentioned this thing called the imposter syndrome. What the heck is that? Sounds really cool, but can you <laughs> explain it? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, um, I, I do want to empathize with most people because the moment we give something a label, um, the moment we give something a label, we have to acknowledge it because people are going to, that's going to resonate with people. People are going to cling on to that label and you you don't want to be so hardcore that you deprive people of finding that safe haven, right? So like 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 nowadays procrastination used to be you, people just say you you were lazy, right? Um, so imposter syndrome is this belief where others may acknowledge you as a rock star, but you don't think you're good enough, right? You you don't okay. believe the acknowledgments, the accolades you're given, um, or if you walked into a role, you've been promoted, uh, you've gotten a certification you think you're a fraud and that truly somebody must have made a mistake sooner or later somebody's going to tap you on the shoulder say hey time's up music's up it's not you know you you know we got you this is not who you really are that's how i would describe it um so would can people confuse that with humility or being humble or to an extent i think to an extent um to an extent you know, being humble at times, actually, yes and no, because sometimes people know how good they are, right? Like, I am a badass. I am this good at this, you know? And it's more like, let me suppress that so I can remain approachable and that I can remain and say, hey, I'm still human. I, I'm still coachable. I can still receive feedback. That may be different. Um, but I, I will, rather than just describing imposter syndrome, I think that at times, at times, it's the acknowledgement of your work. If you haven't put in the work, imposter syndrome will tap you on the shoulder all day long. It's going to embrace you. It's going to sit right beside you, have coffee with you. Um, but if you can, if you can say, wait a minute, you know, the test is based on this one page. I've read everything. I know that one page verbatim. 
yes, I can walk into my glory. I can pass this test. I deserve to pass it. I put in the work. You know, if you studied the night before five minutes for a, you know, 250 question exam, <laughs> then yes, you should feel like an imposter. You shouldn't even be sitting in for that test. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess um, it, the other question that comes to mind is, is there anything wrong with uh, believing that you are that good or that you are the best at something or you do have a special? Yeah, you know what I think? I, I wouldn't say that's wrong. I think what is wrong is to acknowledge a label that you feel describes you and then just use that as that safe haven and remaining there, ah. right? Um, so understanding what the problem is, is it good enough? You still have to go solve it, right? Yes. You know, you can't sit back and say, oh, we left the back door open. Yeah, that back door, man. Okay, let's go have a drink. No, go put a lock on it. Go close it up. And that's what I think it's the problem is that people feel comforted in saying, oh, that's what's wrong with me, man. Okay, cholesterol, no problem. Let's go have some fried chicken. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I think that's what it is. And it, and it, that's like, that's, that's the crux of most things, right? It's like in knowing, knowing isn't good enough, right? We have to go, we have to tie that to action. Yeah. And that's, and tying it to action sometimes means that, or a lot of times it actually means that you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, get out of that comfort zone. And I find that to be one of the hardest things to, uh, inst instantiate in a human being to get get people comfortable and being uncomfortable and accept that, that that's a good thing because it motivates you to take action. I don't know if you have any suggestions on how do you actually do that? How do you get off your butt and go change the locks on the back door or go for a walk or go for a run or when it's just easier to deal with the procrastination than just say to heck with it, man. I think it's understanding that the one thing that that, uh, <laughs> that that one thing you're putting off isn't gonna isn't gonna go away. You know, it's not it's not um, avoiding things; it's going through things that makes us grow. And like you said, it is gonna be painful. You have to understand that that discomfort is part of that growth. And going back to the label, I say time to the label is the fact that um, if I tell you, hey, hey, boss, I, I'm going to put together this project. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to revolutionize our entire policy landscape. If that guy said, if your boss says, man, that's amazing. You're a rock star. I may go back with that instant gratification that he acknowledged my, my idea and just sit on my laurels kind of thing. Yeah. But if that boss were to say, don't tell me, shut up, don't tell me, show me. Now you got to go to work, you know? And that's what it is, is that people, again, back, back, back to Knowing isn't good enough. People can know, people can say, oh my God, what is my life purpose? What's my purpose? What am I meant to do in this world? I wish I could find my purpose. I've taken a skills assessment. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Once you find your purpose, it doesn't get any easier. You still have to go work on your purpose, you're right? right? Whether you're a content creator, a, a professional, or, or a, a, a superstar, basketball player, whatever, you still have to work. So understanding and, and acknowledging what your purpose is or what the policy is or what needs to be done isn't good enough. So I think that's what it is. It's always marrying ideas, initiative with the action. Those three things have to go together. I, I think that's really good sound advice. And I hope our listeners uh, who are listening can uh, make use of that because uh, it, it's important if you're going to have achieve excellence in something.
And so let's switch gears a little bit to cyber, cybersecurity, if you will, directly. And it's about taking actions. So I, I'm going to paraphrase. I, I remember, uh, I can't remember if it was a video or somewhere I read in your, in your background, you mentioned that it can take an entire village to keep your data safe. So first of all, why does it take an entire village? Second part to that, it's a two-part question, is a lot of our audience uh, is in the SMB space, the small, medium business space. They're a part of the village. They can't afford the village <laughs> to keep their data safe and, and they need to keep it safe. So how do they do it? Like what's what's the path here? So two parts. Yeah. And, and, and the part about saying we're all a village is the fact people get asphyxiated into one particular role whatever that their inclination may be. So some, for some people it's, no, if, if I'm not a hacker, I won't be validated as a true cyber guy, right? If I'm not a SAC, uh, stock analyst. Um, so it's the understanding that you, there, I remember coming up in cyber, people I idolized because they happen to be ethical hackers. And I would try to speak with them about governance and they're like, Rafael, you're not speaking my, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. I don't know what PCI, you know what I mean? Yeah. What, what, what regulations got governed what? I don't know what certification and accreditation is. Like, oh, wait a minute. We need each other kind of thing here, Yeah. right? So while, while one guy may be given the hammer to break in, another guy is going to you know, give you that top cover to validate that, you know, do, do we have the right contract in place that you are able to break that door and somebody's going to pay for it and they're not going to come after us later. So it's that understanding that everybody plays a role. If you... If, if that's your passion, if that's the one thing you're good at, don't underestimate the potential for impact. Third-party risk, auditors, you know, sometimes that stuff sounds unsexy, super necessary nowadays, oh, yeah. right? Um, and that's what I was driving when, when, I, when, I, uh, when I made that comment. Um, ID and access management before was just security administration, create accounts, delete accounts, block accounts. That's right. And now it's... ID and access management, right? And we have privileged access management solutions and everything. And again, some unsexy to most to some other guys is like, how how clean can I keep my Active Directory? You know, where can I find you know potential for lateral move? I mean, so again, it's just again, it's it's just that we're we're all making a sound contribution. You can't have one without the other. It's kind of what I was trying to drive with that comment. Yeah. And I guess you know a follow on question to that would be. Do you think that maybe there's too much compartmentalization in cybersecurity? One hundred percent. When you said when you said small to medium sized business, you know what 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 uh, it's it, what occurred to me is that I um I, I've been doing consulting for a long time. It's when you speak to a super la a large organization, right, a, a forty billion dollar company, you're talking about one discipline, and eight people show up to the meeting to talk about identity or talk yes. about endpoint protection. When you speak to a small to medium-sized company, you have two people in the meeting and one guy owns three of those disciplines that I just named, Yeah, you know, and that guy is like fierce and you better know your stuff because he definitely knows his stuff in his environment. Right. And he's gonna, he's, he's done it a thousand ways and he knows how it works and how it doesn't. Right. Um, so down to that, I think, so, so already there, we can say one of the one of the biggest constraints is often people, right? It's not always budget. It's often people when it comes 
um, when it comes to small, uh, medium-sized businesses. So the, the first thing that comes to mind is that allocation of resources. You only have five, right? So, so, so think about it. You're, you're holding in your door, you're holding in your hand three door locks, but yeah. you have a hole, a hole we're looking at at 20 doors, right? Where do you put those three locks, right? So how are you using your people? Sometimes you can't do all the sexy uh, correlation stuff, right? And you're not going to have the, 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 the most fine-tuned sim because you have one resource that's doing right. threat intel, endpoint protection, you know, DLP, everything else. So the, the allocation of resources is probably one of the most important things you can do for your organization without uh, being fearful of um, – back in the day, when, when we talked about managed services, it was like, oh – Hell no, nobody in my environment. Are you kidding me? We manage our own stuff. We're not going to get right. access. But nowadays, it's something to be leveraged. You will never be the SLAs of an MSSP, right? That's 24 true. 24-7 coverage. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Or I, if you I, do, I wanna... it's going to come at a huge cost. <laughs> 100%. 100%. And if we're saying that resources are, are one of the biggest constraints, you need to be wise to prevent, you know, employee burnout, use them effectively to really, really listen. Um, hey, look, I'm not being that effective here or my time is not being spent wisely. Can I spin this up? Yes, please go for it. Um, that that guy sticking around, owning a lot more, making a lot less than somebody else is at a Fortune 40 company. So um, it's uh, it's best to listen, kind of, you know, give them, give them some rope, um, be really cognizant of, of, of what they've taken on. So- you, you talked uh, about the infosec professionals, but what about when when you said people? But what about the people? How do you bring them into the security pool? You know, the actual employees—they're probably the most underutilized asset in cybersecurity. So, how do you bring them into the fold and establish a culture, if you will? So, even if you only have three locks, it's equivalent to having ten. Maybe not all twenty, but you got 10 because you got vigilance. Yeah, I, 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 um, I really like the way that security awareness training is shifting nowadays where it's more like it's, it's, not, the, it's not the gotcha, you know, not the gotcha. And, and like, you know, lock your door, empty your desk, clear your desk, make sure you classify your emails. It's more about it's more like come into our world, see what we see. Here's the lens of the advers- adversary. Here's how this may affect your your personal online transacting, right? Um, your kids, um, you know, what what does internet access mean um, in an uncontrolled, um, you know, um, unprotected browser and things like that? Because what we're doing is we're creating advocates, right? And we're also we're we've also shifted from saying no to saying, oh, is that what you want to do? Let me help you go faster, right? I'm right behind you. Um, those two shifts in training and security calling themselves an enabler, we have a long way to go to be true enablers, but those two shifts are really helping create sensors out there where the average user does say, this doesn't look right. You know, this email, no, I've never, I've never talked to this person. Yeah, right. I just got an email from the CEO. And before people were like, whoa, jackpot. And um, so I think that shift alone is, is, is helping greatly. Yeah, I, I think it. Uh, if it would accelerate, it would be even better. <laughs> yes, yes, one hundred percent. Because I, I do. We see it all the time. I mean, you, you look at. I forget what the statistics that 
but 80 plus percent of cyber breaches are due to human error, right? So if you can get yeah. people aware of potential errors, you'll never get to 100%, but potential errors, you might do a lot better. Yeah, you know what, though, 96, you know, whatever that percentage was, 96% of endpoint systems are used by humans. So That's right. It's like the problem. You, you know what I mean? It's like it's like saying, you know, 96 of people that go to a water park will get wet. Like, yes, it's people going to the water parks. You know what, you know what I mean? Yeah. That night, now, if you tell me there's a potential your car may get wet, now I have to question things. So, yes, but is it <laughs> is it human error or is it is it just just human? If we take the, the, the error out and we say 96% are caused by humans. Well, yes, humans are the, are, are the primary user, the ones accessing the data, the ones provoking the environment, right? The ones opening and shutting doors. You know, that's a subtle but very cool mind shift because I've been using the term human error on this podcast for God knows how long. But it really is to be human. I mean, it's human nature. It is. And, and you know what it 100%. occurred to me was, you know, from a threat surface uh, or attack surface perspective, uh, as you were speaking, it you look at sales professionals, right? Sales professionals are trying to reach decision makers all the time. And I guess they would be ripe for compromise because one of the easiest things to do is to tell a get sent a sales professional an email from a decision maker. And the guy's going to go jackpot when, yes. <laughs> when it's really... He's being human or she's being human. So uh, it is, uh, there's a lot of human nature in this. And that's something that's been, I think you look at all the cyber training that goes on out there, whether you're trying to become a SOC analyst or you're studying for your CISSP, a myriad of certifications are available. I don't know of anyone that actually gets into the psychology of the hacker and the human. And that Agreed. is the root cause of it, right? And the only place I know that actually does that is U.S. Cyber Command. You're right. You're right. We forget that again because we're human. You have you have the the careless person. You have the negligent. You know the negligent person. Sure. It's the fact that it's cyber and and what is at stake, right? Because again, we can't just say these five people. You will be cyber put them in a room, only you can process this data, only you have internet access, it's everyone. And within everyone, you don't have a chance to just equip and select just the elite, right? Super intelligent, very conscious about. So it's the, it's because it's cyber, right? It's because what's at stake? Because ultimately you still have the guy that is the last one to use the coffee pot and forget, you know, doesn't fill the water and walks out of the break room, right? Oh, you know, or doesn't empty out the pods or whatever. You have Kathy who processes wire transfers and it's like Kathy processed 15 wire transfers in the last hour. Amazing. But then she's the one getting dinged because she's become so, you know what I mean? She's on cruise control and she's stamping the, 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 the fraudulent wire. You, you, you see what I mean? So it's yeah, like I, the things I you do. get, you know? Yeah. So again, so sometimes the one thing that makes you great is to your detriment, right? Sometimes it's good to be really loud and speak up for what's right. But sometimes it's good to be quiet, but that quiet person is also the shy one. Hey, you should speak up more often. But so again, we're human and that, that same behavior is reflected in our activities online, 
whether we glance over an email or whether we read it entirely, right? Attention to detail, all that comes through. We can't, we can't hang up the human at work and just be the robot cyber person or, or great, you know, individual contributor. And I think that was worth the price of admission for this episode, for sure. Because so uh, people uh, who are listening, you know, especially uh, if you're in a decision making capacity, that's a that, it's a really important thing. I, I think a lot of times people think cyber is a bunch of technologies and controls. And and because I bought X widget or gadget, whatever it may be that month, um, my company is safe. But if you've forgotten about what you're saying, the human part of it, which is how you got here in the first place, you're not going to have a very effective cybersec program. Which is wrong. That's my opinion. I mean, hundred percent, hundred percent. We we are we are ultimately what we want to do and help people do is make informed decisions. That's what it comes down yes. to. You know, that's it's a term not about used in healthcare quite a bit. Make oh, it, yeah, you know, yeah. Make an informed decision. It's not about do this, do that. Ultimately, what I want people to do is make an informed decision. I can't train people for every single scenario, right? And every single spoofed email. It's ultimately, can I get people in, you know, in, into that trend of making informed decisions? Then I've done my job. And the humans yeah, that, are the ones who make informed decisions, you know? That, that yeah, not artificial intelligence, yes. real intelligence. <laughs> Right, which is the flavor of the last five years, but that that's that's brilliant. So let's talk about you know diving into this um, vulnerabilities, right? So cyber threat modeling vulnerabilities, what to prioritize. Give us some practical advice. How do you go about doing that in a practical manner? Right, there's a lot of frameworks. I know there's things like Fair out there, which is brilliant if you can afford to do it. Um, and if you have the time and the energy and all those things, but how do you, how does a company do that in a practical way? You know, um, one thing, one thing I, um, one thing I've, I've been hearing a lot of lately is ex based on uh, grading vulnerabilities based on exploitability, right? Okay. Not on how critical they are to everyone, but how critical they are to you specifically to your environment. And that gets to knowing your environment. Um, for me, I think it's going to be a little more basic. Here's the disjointness I've seen everywhere when it comes to vulnerability management. Okay. And that's the fact that you have three separate teams, right, trying to accomplish vulnerability management. You have, you have compliance saying, hey, you know, we, we, we have all these open vulnerabilities. You have security validating and saying, yep, we're vulnerable. We just ran the scan. Here are the vulnerabilities. And then we have... Uh, engineering receiving the patches, right? And 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 app owners and, and and everybody else saying saying, okay, this is my list. That that disjointness of like, okay, what what do I patch first? Did you see my concerns from last week with the list you sent me last? You sent me a thousand vulnerabilities last week, and you're sending me a thousand more now, but you haven't responded to my concerns about last week's a thousand and why I can't patch. And you're piling on, and you're piling more. on more. So engineering says, yep. We've been dinged with 2,000 vulnerabilities. Security is like, ah, engineering, 2,000 vulnerabilities. And compliance says, hey, our numbers are up. You know, we, we, we continue to report accurately. We're now up to 2,000, you know? And it's like, why aren't these three people in a room, right? Understanding what each one needs of each other, right? Because again, I, 
um, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine showing up at a coffee shop every single morning, right? And the guy makes my coffee the wrong way and I just walk out, but I still pay him and I tip him. I come back the next morning, it's the same reaction. We smile at each other, we greet each other, you know, coffee's still three bucks. Yep, are you still getting the same thing? I am, I walk out. It, it's just bizarre to me. So for me, rather than focusing on, you know, a particular vulnerability scanner or how to, how to, how to, how to, um, how to set criticality or anything like that, start with your highs, you know, 30 days or anything like that, creating a framework, it's that disjointness of who owns what and, 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 and are they talking, um, comes down to it. Well, which gets into the whole thing with friction, right? And what you just described are, are three roles there that should be working together. But depending on the size of the organization, those three roles might be in three different departments or they might be the same department. They might report to the CIO or the CFO or to some risk manager. As the case may be, how do you lower the friction level? And quite frankly, not get fired. I mean, I, I, I've seen situations where the CISO, you know, is in the CIO, is underneath the CIO and 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 he or she is telling the CIO, dude, this is not going to work. You got to make some changes. And that's their pet program. And they're like, well, no, we're not making any changes. Right. <laughs> but the CISO yeah. is the one that's going to the board and saying, here's what the risk is. And it's they'll be the first one fired when things go wrong. Agreed. You know, be, being being in a, being that still today, the the primary reporting structure is CISO to CIO, right? That being there, um, I think most wise seasoned uh, CIOs get it and empower that CISO. And it's like, this is why you're here, dude. You know, you, you know, you're the security guy. I'm not. However, here is my environment, which is the reason why you're here. Understanding that support system is going to be critical. Understanding that, first of all, without, you know, and, and that's what I think, I think that's what the problem is sometimes is that that self-elevation of cybersecurity, you know, hey, we're super important, yeah. you know, we're short manned and, and, and you know, we, we command these salaries and we have a skill shortage and without cybersecurity, you can't go anywhere. You have to have cyber. Okay. But without IT, there, there is no cybersecurity to begin with. So understanding that support function that and, 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 and even taking it higher, understanding that you're there for the business, IT exists for the business, and cybersecurity exists for IT, understanding that relationship allows people to remain in their lanes and support each other and get, sort of get out of the way in the way that it should be, right? Um, again, a, a, a CISO not getting top cover for, for uh, enforcing and making decisions that will shift the security posture of the company is probably going to be in the wrong place. I mean, you know, that can only go on you know, for so long. You, know, you, you can only massage a CISO for so long. Like, like hey, sit back. You know, let, me do, let me do my thing. You know, we have quarters to meet. You know, we have to, no, no, no. Like, like, no, I, I, can't, I, I can't live in my own skin understanding that I can't execute the job I have that you brought me in at a one, per, you know, uh, at, a, at a level one uh, security posture, and you want me to take you to a three in 24 months, you know, I need to be able to, to break some eggs here. I need to be able to shift some things around um, across all, you know, the, the, the typical three, you know, people, um, people process technology. 
Um, I think that's what it is, is that alignment, right? If a CISO still, if a CIO still wants to continue to own everything and, and be empowered in that way, then you don't, you think you need a CISO, but you don't. So uh, let me ask you uh, lessons from history on something like this. Uh, you, you worked at Lowe's and you probably remember the target breach. It was talked about so much. Did the industry change a little bit because of that, of what took place there? Or did you see that in retail at all? Was it changed it- a lot. Changed entirely. It changed our, it changed our, our budget. It changed our headcount. You know, I, I, I was there um, when it happened. Uh, yeah, it shifted everything. It, it was It's unfortunate that it had to happen because nowadays we're so desensitized and it's almost like a breach becomes the, the cost for a budget increase. But yeah, I was there. It was it was a it was a massive shift in the way um, the way security was seen, um, the the way that that we were looked at. Suddenly, we had a platform. There was more quarterly training and all that good stuff for for newcomers and all that. So changed everything entirely. Did um, you know one of the things that Target apparently? Uh, I I don't know anybody at that company, and this is just from what the public information is that uh, in their sock. They were getting alarm bells, but people actually chose to ignore them. That hap- apparently that happened. Um, has there, I guess, been a change in the way we manage sock fatigue? Because the, I gotta believe that's what came into play uh, at a place like Target. You would get alarm bells every second <laughs> of some kind, right? It, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's cha- I I think we're far from eradicating sock fatigue. I, I think we're far from it. Um, I think well, that's an honest answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I mean, people and I think people enforce enforce their sock capabilities. Actually, Lowe's didn't have a sock um, before. Okay, and, and uh, started implementing one after, right? Short shortly after, within within two years after. Um, and I hope I'm you know I, I don't think that's that's uh, intellectual property by any means, but uh. You know, it started after. I think that people started enhancing their sock capabilities, but the fatigue is still there, right? Because again, you have you have a you know specifically skilled people working in a high pace environment, and it's it's almost like you know I don't want to say that they're 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 not replaceable, but but you lean heavily on those folks that have have had the training, have had the exposure, that put in the hours. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, that commitment becomes deeper and deeper throughout time. And there's less of those people to go around. Hence what I said earlier about the success of MSSPs nowadays, right? Being able to leverage one centralized team that's looking at one screen um, and is able to, to leverage lessons learned for, you know, to, to spread across for everybody else. So, yeah, the, the, the fatigue is still, I think the fatigue is still there. In, in fact, it's increased because now we have more tools and more screens to look yeah, at. We do. We have many more tools and many more screens and I think uh, you talked about knowing the environment quite a bit, or you mentioned it at least a half a dozen times. I, I think that is critical to if you if you the sock can't understand the environment, uh, they're going to be tired, right? But it also gets it gets into uh, something that you briefly mentioned was third party risk. You know, at, at the uh, on the target breach, it was an HVAC contractor. Right now, how, you know, you you look at uh, 
companies, they have contractors of various sizes and various maturity. How can you possibly box in that third-party risk? Because you need those vendors. You, you need the guy that's changing your light bulbs just as much as you need the guy that's updating the software on your uh, point-of-sale equipment. So two different worlds, two different maturities altogether. Um, how do you how do you balance third party risk here? I, I used to have a boss at Lowe's, and when people when consultants would approach him, um, like they found something, like ha, gotcha, you know this vendor's trying to, do, you know, he would throw his hands up, he'd sit there and say, "What's the risk?" And you know, he's like, "I'm I'm not being for, like like honestly, what is just tell me, convince me, right? As a regular, what is the risk, right? And sometimes we're 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 trying to be play such devil's advocates that we we create risks that aren't really there. The potential isn't there. It's not gonna happen. It's not the type of data. The exposure isn't there. I think it's getting down to that, right? What is what is really critical? What can we really afford to lose? Um, because like you said, we can't cast a net wide enough to perform a rigorous, diligent, 100 question assessment on every vendor. So right. you better get critical and, and you know, you better get laser focused on what 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 matters um you can you can have the mentality to ask the right questions think like that adversary but ultimately think okay great if this landed on a competitor's doorstep what is the impact really what is is there really a risk right um the company that that you know comes over and cleans our windows is a third party risk and you have to think this guy's hanging from an 80 foot story whatever he's going to look in and see and see a screen does he, did he sign an NDA? And you can get into that, right? Or you could just say, actually, when the windows are being cleaned, we can just put the blinds down. You see, so again, I think it's it's down to that. It's creating that structure. What is, first of all, you have to have good uh, data classification in place, right? To know what you're giving who, what is what, and, and how do you assess each? But again, it's just categorizing and say, you know, start with really heavy buckets. This is no kidding forecast pre-sales data that's being given to this vendor. Yes, assess entirely. Bring out the white glove, everything, right? Um, this is, this, these people create flyers for us for already agreed on public pricing. Okay, great. Are they given anything critical? No, do they have access? You know, asking those questions because you really can't devote the time to those, uh, you know, to those vendors that don't have access that aren't dealing with sensitive data and that sort of thing. Um, when it comes to when it comes to small companies passing that assessment and getting through, well, again, it's going to come down to the same thing. How how uh, how risky is it to the company? How how niche is that service that company's providing? Because trust me, a company like Lowe's, if if it's super niche and it's this cutting edge technology, and it's two you know two teenagers in a garage that developed it for you know whatever whatever that may be, right? For yeah. for whatever um, social media rendering, whatever that may be. They're not gonna. Those got those two teenagers are not gonna have policies in place. They don't have BOP. They don't have import they, protection. They don't. they don't have any of that. But the technology is so niche that that Lowe's says, "I'm I will assume the risk. I got to get my hands on that because somebody else will, and I'll meet them halfway. We'll get them secure. That you know that sort of thing. So it's that balance from both sides, right? Which brings us to zero trust and sassy. <laughs> One of my favorite, because this, there's an ongoing debate out there. 
what are you ascribing to? Uh, are you a zero trust? Or do you go the sassy route or what? Give us some thoughts as a professional CISO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people yeah. immediately cringe when you say zero trust. Um, people, cringe I saw that, I, and I'm fad. sure people will see that expression on the podcast too. <laughs> yeah, 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 because they think it's a fad and everything else. But, uh, but uh, no, no, I have many clients who are leaning heavily towards zero trust and are implementing sassy technologies. Um, the first thing to acknowledge poss- is possibly neither one of those things is a tool. There are tools that greatly contribute to the achievement of sassy or zero trust, but it, both of those are, are definitely a long-term strategy, long-term shift. Um, and, and, uh, sort of, um, you know, abandoning, um, legacy solutions without remote workforce, you have to, you have to go, you have to lean into sassy. Um, but it's not sassy versus zero trust. I think it's sassy and zero trust. Zero trust con, uh, contributes to a sassy um, architecture, right? Um, that's the way I see it because it's not just it's not just protecting end user devices, right? And it's not just yep. just the the identity, right? Um, it's the network, it's the data, and that that's why I believe those those will go hand in hand. Um, aiming to put in a tool in place without the strategy will have you fail every time, and will have you believe it is just a buzzword. We've been struggling with this for two years. Starting with the why and putting together the 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 strategy not only will, will give you better odds of winning, but will also position you in a way where vendors won't BS you because you know what the heavy lifting looks like for your particular environment. For them to tell you this will solve all your problems, you'll be zero trust overnight, um, sort of thing. You know what? I'm smiling because you said it and not me. When I say it, nobody believes me. As an MSSP, we're like, you're saying that for your own self-serving needs. Like, nope, you heard it from a real CISO. So <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's, fa- that's fantastic. And, you know, when it comes to failure, I guess one thing is, should companies be afraid to fail? Can, can in some areas, is can't failure be used as a great asset? as to building a giantly successful cybersec program. Yeah, you know, I, I remember writing a post years ago about about that, about saying, is is a breach a a a uh, the most significant failure for a CISO or does it represent a new budget? Right? Because <laughs> suddenly now it's like it's it's almost like um well, welcome to the band of brothers. You two have been breached. Here's your new budget so it doesn't happen again, right? We're gonna we're gonna mend your wounds, kind of thing, um, and and it's still it's still both ways, you know. Failure failure can be so detrimental to where your negligence come through comes through loudly. You've been warned. You could have done the right thing, and you and you and you just didn't act on it for whatever reason. Um, and then it's it's a career um, it's a career ending move, you know, um, event that has happened to you. Um, what I believe is this, I think it's not, it's again, it sounds cliche, but it's not a matter of, of, of if, but when. You, we are gonna fail in some capacity. Yes. There's, there's, you know, the, the thing you least expect is going to get you, right? Vulnerability management is the oldest discipline in cybersecurity, right? It's people, people were scanning for vulnerabilities before we had antivirus and it is still the one thing that gets us. So, so things are going to happen. Like you said, you, you know, our user base, you can highly skilled to just to, to just got out of college kind of thing. And they're accessing the same environment with the same access rights and, and all that stuff. So 
um, failure is going to happen. How do you plan for it? You know, and um, how do you how do you say if all else fails, what does my disaster recovery look like? Right. Am, am I waiting for an actual breach to, to, to pull, you know, ring the bell and, and exercise my incident response plan and that sort of thing? Um, I think we need to be exercising a lot, a lot more than usual and making things as realistic as possible. Um, and not just like, oh, let's sit through this thing. Like, you know, you're doing the military. Let's sit through this exercise. Okay, Kathy, are you here? Okay, ring mm-hmm. the bell. Okay, guy breaks in through the back window. Blah, blah, blah. What do you do? Okay, answer. We have to get realistic. We have to get intentional um, about this. Yeah, that's uh, that's age advice. That that's that's really really <laughs> good advice. I and. I think if people looked at that in in a very practical context, they could really secure uh, their organizations. There are some companies out there that have uh, that that have really leveraged something catastrophic and and really leveraged that as an opportunity to establish that awareness that we were talking about a little bit earlier and creating that culture of awareness. That doesn't mean that they're not vulnerable. There's always going to be vulnerabilities. There will always be, if you're a determined enough bad actor, you might find something that you're going to take advantage of. But it'll be really hard and your time might be better spent elsewhere <laughs> with someone that's a lot less secure. And I guess that's that's a point that companies think about is, you know, where how much do you really invest in this? Can you get, if your risk level gets down to a point where it's acceptable for you, then then you're good. You've done the best you could. You've optimized the whole. Agreed. Agreed. I, I think that at times when companies um, are assessed and they realize where, where they sit in that maturity level becomes overwhelming. And rather than doing something, they do nothing. Right. So they have this long, they come up with a list of 20 initiatives and, and it's like, and it's just overwhelming. Where do we start? And in that planning and that selection, like I said, the, the too many options, it's like, okay, what do we do first? Is, is it network segmentation? Is, is it EDR? Is it, and they don't pull the trigger. You start somewhere and you'll get to the other one after. When people enter cybersecurity, they're like, I don't know what I should get certified in. I don't know what I should be reading. Should I be learning about cloud security? Should I be learning about identity? And they don't pull the trigger. If you said, you know what, in the next year, I'm going to learn something new each month, regardless of what had happened or whether you were caught, you know, off guard and you didn't know that one thing, right? Oh, see, Ah, I went to this meeting. I knew nothing about that. That's what I didn't learn. No, just stay on your course. Trust the process. And at the end of the 12 months, you have had your failures. You have had your embarrassments. You have missed the, the ball on certain things that you didn't know. But you'll look back and you say, you know, this was my approach. I couldn't, I couldn't predict what was coming at me. But at the end of these 12 months, I, I learned 12 new technologies, 12 new initiatives, 12 new things. And that's what it is. Companies, once they're assessed, once they acknowledge what the deficiencies are, let's take these on. Let, let's start at let's start at number one, and to be able to look back, regardless of what happens in between. And you know what? Since you're a motivational speaker as well, I want to bring that down to the personal level. So, how do you avoid the victim's mentality? So you failed. So we just talked about corporate failure, but as an individual, you failed. How are you not the victim? Because that's the easiest role to take a hold of in that situation. Well, it wasn't my fault. Yeah, it's always you know, me. 
hate to put you on the spot, but it, it, it's, I, I think it's understanding yeah. that if, if we say, if we say, you know what, things, if we say life isn't fair and things can happen to you anyway, then you have to believe that it didn't happen to you, but it happened for you, right? When you are on an airplane and your flight gets canceled, you are thinking, I knew it, I knew it. This is the one time I decided to take a vacation. And yeah. you're not acknowledging there's 200 other people sitting in there with you. And all you can focus on is you, 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 right? I guarantee you someone else, that someone else is flying with a problem that you wouldn't want to switch side, you know, places with, you know, you're going... So it, believing that things are going to happen anyway and they happen for you, it's um, that that's what that's what keeps me resilient. So it's like the 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 absence of trouble means I'm not out there. I'm, I'm not going out there. Right. The only way I won't get hit by a car, I won't get into, it's not driving, it's staying home. But what good of a life is that? Right. Not experiencing anything. So going if you're out there, it means if, if you're failing, it means you're out there. You're doing you're doing the thing you, you which you can fail at. Um, I th that's that's probably the, the simplest way I can put that, it. Uh, that's uh, a very very good answer and great advice. And which brings us actually to the to the hour here. And I want to give you the floor for the last two minutes to talk about anything you'd like to. So any books, any events, any shows, any appearances, whatever you'd like our audience to know, whatever you'd like to plug please <laughs> no no thank you thank you first of all thank you so much for the opportunity it, it's it's a privilege um that that you get to do these and to be handpicked and selected to be a uh you know a guest on your on your podcast i love it awesome love what you're doing um the questions were phenomenal um if anything i would like to um just express to people i, I am in charlotte north carolina area um if i create a video about something that's inspirational to you and encouraging reach out, reach out, connect. I'd be glad to help you through that. I only talk about things that I've experienced myself, that I've gone through or, or overcome myself. So it's not just like, oh, neat quote today. Let's talk about this. It's, it's real <laughs> things. Um, I, I'd also like to acknowledge that any, any strength that I found um, in my life has been you know, through faith, my spouse, great mentors. There's people in the industry that I consider mentors, uh, Christopher Zell, Anthony Johnson, um just uh those two come to mind i've been very very oh, wow chris self formerly wendy's sizzle yes right yes he's a those big into biohacking yeah. i I, yeah, I had yeah, a little yes, chat huge <laughs> <laughs> yeah so th those two gentlemen there's a, there's a lot more out there but those two gentlemen immediately come to mind as having helped me shift a, a lot of my mindset in cyber and in life brilliant uh, well, with that, Rafael, thank you so much for being on this show. It, it was a pleasure and uh, hope, uh, you know, people find a lot of uh, encouragement and we and the audience send us your feedback, you know, let us know what you thought. Good, bad, indifferent. Uh, we're always uh, looking for feedback. Thank you, everyone. Take care and have a great day.